Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. G'day and welcome. You are watching Ausbiz. This is the call 10 stocks picked by you. Two experts, one hour. It is Wednesday, the 5th of January. I'm Andrew Gagan. Great you can join us. All right, let's uh, introduce our two experts here for the full hour. Andrew Page from strawman.com and Nathan Somersundram from Deep Data Analytics. Welcome to both of you. Happy New Year. Uh, Andrew, what a stellar start to the year yesterday on the local market. Not quite so today, but uh, some, some, I guess, thin volumes there. So uh, what are your thoughts about how we're starting the year? Yeah, I think I read it was one of the strongest starts we'd seen in quite a while, which is always nice. But, uh, you know, one swallow does not a summer make. Let's let's hope this momentum uh, uh, continues. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if you if you could have a choice, you'd start strong and we have. So it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Nathan, what are your thoughts? Because I remember speaking to you late last year. You do have some concerns. Do they remain? Yeah, I don't think uh, we've resolved anything. Um, if anything, we seem to find new problems. Uh, so, um, you know, especially locally, uh, we we do our own goals, uh, we create our own problems. Uh, so, I think there are a few issues. Uh, but overall, you know, if you look at what happens on a historical trend, um, you get low turnover moves in the last, you know, your Christmas to New Year's period, and about two three days into the new year, and that's exactly how it's played out. Um, yesterday's move was quite a bit. Um, there was just basically no selling. It was just we had the macro buying, and you can see it by the the way the index moved. Uh, there was market buying uh, on passive money, and it was playing out the whole day. And the market just grinded up. And usually, you see a bit of profit taking around lunchtime and into the close. There was even none of that. So it was just a buying portfolio on a macro level that was playing out on a global level, and that was just pushing the market higher. So. You know, if you if you wanted to take some profit, well, it's just giving you a nice good boost in the new year to take some profit off the off the table. Yep, and of course, all in the background, of course, is what's going on with the virus, Omicron, something of a a tsunami uh, hitting us essentially at the moment with those numbers. So that's uh, certainly also needs to be factored in. Uh, this certainly applies to our stock of the day corporate travel management, of course, when we're talking about travel and how how it has been affected over the course of the past few years during the pandemic. Now, it's in focus with the competition regulator, the ACCC, to conduct an informal review into its acquisition of Hello World late last year. And corporate travel clinched the business arm of Hello World for $175 million. Uh, shares sitting pretty flat today, um, as you can see there. So, what do our experts think? Uh, Nathan, is it uh, set to take off? Uh, is it in a holding pattern? Uh, save me from these bad puns. What are your thoughts? <laughs> they are pretty good puns. Uh, look, uh, we, we were on that play last year. Uh, we actually played it through Flight Center and Webjet uh, because the reopening cycle was playing out. Um, and they 
the interesting part about flight center and webjet is they're probably one of the top 10 shorter stocks in the market so when the macro turns you get short covering and uh, these stocks move quite a bit and flight center for example ran from i think 14 15 dollars to 2021 um, and at that point the problem that people forget is a lot of these stocks especially travel stocks had to issue a lot of shares to stay afloat uh, to pay their bills so in that context they diluted their um, shareholdings quite a bit so even though the share price doesn't actually get diluted because it doesn't attract a dilution because it's the way you do it you have to actually look under the numbers to work out how much the capital uh, i suppose raisings that are played out in different ways and how the market cap sits and where you are sitting uh, corporate uh, travel obviously has the uh, the premium brand on it um, it's got the corporate travel business which is the high margin play historically there's been issues about whether the that's sustainable and so forth. Again, it's bounced back. Uh, you know, you're, you're talking about a stock that's pretty much near the peak um, and travel is going to be patchy at best. I think a lot of corporates have actually got used to doing Zoom. I mean, um, I do more Zoom in the last 12 months than I've probably done in my whole life, any kind of phone conferencing. So in that context, everyone's got used to it. Everyone's doing things from home. Everyone's cutting back on transportation and especially with virus re-emerging every so often, it's going to be a tricky play. Now for me, where corporate travel sits, uh, for the multiple it is, it is a high growth stock. So it's a high growth stock with the upside, most brokers have it, you know, you're only about 10, 20% upside. So what are you buying it for? Um, you're buying a high growth stock that you are assuming over the long term will continue to deliver and continue to deliver well. I'm not so sure. I think the sector's got a couple of tough years ahead, and I think there's a lot more competition. And just like Hello World, the industry is going through a fair amount of consolidation. So the guys who are left behind are going to be pretty decent size, and they're going to compete. And these are going to be global players competing. So I think it's going to be tough. If I had to pick a turnaround openings um, cycle play, corporate travel doesn't sit on the top of my list, probably not in the top 10 or 20. So in that context, I wouldn't be jumping in. I think it's really hard. Um, I would wait for a period of time while all of this uh, Omicron um, plays out. I don't know how long that will take. And when that turns around, I'd be looking at things like Flight Center and WebJet because mm. they're much much discounted for the risk that they have. And, you know, if you can pick them up around $12, $13, for example, Flight Center, um, and you're willing to ride through the next cycle, and when the reopening comes, you'll get another run up. But for corporate travel, I think the risk return just not there for you. But if you already hold the stock, do you continue holding it? Yeah, that's the interesting part. If you've held the stock and you've had a decent run, and I think management's done okay. I think it's going to be volatile, but I think they'll do okay. Um, and I would hold through it. But if I had to pick 10, 15, I'm not picking it. But, you know, if you held it through, it's a hold. Okay, fair enough. Andrew, your thoughts, and I guess also with that deal that it's done recently with Hello World. Yeah, um, look, so corporate travel management has an excellent history. Uh, management has delivered exceptionally well, but I'm going to echo many of the points that Nathan just made here. I mean, what, what you want here is, is a favourable asymmetry. So the market's actually been reasonably sensible in trying to look past a lot of these troubles that we're having right now. Um, they are hopefully transitory, so it, it is sort of right to look past all of that, but that's, 
it's kind of that play has sort of been done now. And now, we, and we've also seen how fast moving and dynamic this whole situation is. I mean, what other variants will, will crop up? Um, is, there, is there a new norm, normal with uh, internet um, meetings, et cetera, et cetera? So it's not that I think it's a bad business. I think it's an exceptional business. I think it'll be around for a while. Um, I think they've got a lot of potential. I just, it's kind of in the price, as Nathan's sort of saying that. And uh, I, I just don't know that you're you're going to get exceptional returns from this from this uh, uh, point forward, uh, especially with just how fast and rapidly things can change. I remember in 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 uh, you know 2020, there was one as, as you can see on the chart there a massive fall there and. The market rightly said, oh, this will pass. As soon as we get past this, everything will be okay again. And then, you know, we had various strains and then and then <laughs> it just so on and, and so forth. So it, it's kind of, yes, we're all sort of saying now, oh, once Omicron is passed, it, it'll be fine. It's like, well, you know, I, I just, I don't know how certain that is. And again, I'd, I'd reiterate the point that this business is going to be around for a while. Corporate travel as a category is not going away. Absolutely, it's not an exceptional management, all of those kinds of things. But you just, you, you want as an investor, you want more upside than downside. I just don't know if that's there at this point in time. I, I want a much more attractive discount if I was going to buy. So for the same reasons as Nathan, it's, it's a pass for me. Okay. All right. That is uh, corporate travel. That was our stock of the day. All right. Let's get in to our 10 stocks picked by you. And the first one it comes to us from Xavier. It is uh, XRF scientific. Uh, it manufactures and sells uh, predominantly for pre precious metal equipment and instruments uh, for mining companies. Um, and of course, we've seen a lot of that uh, sample testing being ramped up, uh, given where we're at as far as that cycle is concerned in the resources sector. Andrew, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, so full disclosure, I am a shareholder. Um, this company is ranks very highly on straw man. It's about number six at this point in time. Um, it's had a really good performance. I think shares are actually still reasonable value, value uh, have, represent reasonable value. It, what's really cool about this business is it's kind of got a razor and blade model. So, you know, business uh, students of business history will, will liken this to what Gillette has done, what printers do, printers and cartridges. So they sell this equipment, but it's the consumables, which is the really attractive part of this business. So they've got various divisions. Um, the consumables division, uh, only represents about a third of revenue, but it represents close to half of the net profit because the margins are so strong in this kind of area. Management's invested very heavily in uh, in, in uh, building out the business, uh, and they've got a long way to run. They've had some exceptional results uh, recently. Um, the, the thing to bear in mind, though, is that their customers are fairly cyclical, and they do go through different periods of expenditure and stuff. So I think as a shareholder, you have to account for that um, but look it's a business that's been listed since 2006 it goes all the way back to 1972 and its founding and it's 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 been a very good performer over most of that time so uh, look i think operating margins should continue uh to improve i really back management they've got a good uh, size uh shareholding in this i think board and management close to 10 percent of the company here the valuation that our members have on a consensus basis is around about the current price. So it's it's probably what you might call uh, fair, but a very high quality business, bearing in mind that lumpiness here, I, I'd actually be comfortable to add at this at this point. I hold, so I have to say that. All right, so that, that is an ad. Um, I'll take that. That's an ad, yeah. Yep, okay, yep. good one. Nathan. 
Yeah, look, it's a, it's one that, uh, you know, if you told me the name, I probably wouldn't have remembered, but I remember the code. <laughs> when you look at so many stocks, it's the code that you remember. Uh, I'll look, XRF, as uh, Andrew said, uh, three divisions, consumables, um, you've got your um, CapEx side of things, as well as your uh, precious metal. Capital equipment is doing well. Uh, precious metals is the right part of the cycle right now. Um, you know, management's done well, um, and the cycle is with them. All three divisions are doing well. Recent acquisition looks pretty okay. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's a micro cap. You have to remember that. So you have the risk now. I think overall, when you look at mining services type businesses, I think it's a it's a one that it's in value territory. But you just haven't seen the real move in the capex from the big miners. But mining stocks have done well, so mining services should do well at some point, um, and that should flow through. Now, the trick is, for me, is it's where the uh, size category, where it is now, uh, the micro caps. So if you looked at the last 12 months, uh, pretty much every small cap fund manager has done well pretty much holding micro caps because the small cap, uh, the micro caps have actually outperformed small caps by 50, 60% at the peak of the cycle. So the, the reality is everyone's gone for their extreme growth, which is in the really small category. Uh, that comes with risk. Uh, now. Everything's had a good run. Now, this is where you've got to be very um, careful where we are in the cycle. Uh, the Fed is raising rates. It doesn't matter what everyone else does. I mean, the RBA is irrelevant. So when the Fed is raising rates, um, equity valuations will change. So multiples will come lower um, and things will change around for the dynamics. Now, what happens in the meantime with global growth slowing and so forth? Now, if the commodity prices remain relatively elevated, then I think the outlook remains pretty solid. If the US dollar keeps going higher, then this will get hurt. So these kind of macro moves will have some impact on this stock. But I think as a stock, I think it looks good. If you're in it, I'll be holding through it. Um, would I be jumping in right now? Look, if I had to pick a micro cap stock, this is actually not too bad. I think it ticks a lot more boxes than not. So I'll put an ad on it, uh, but I'll put the caveat that it is a micro cap. And if the market pulls back, these are the type of stocks that will see a lot more downside risk. Okay, taking it as uh, two ads there, that would mean it's essentially going in the portfolio. So that's a pretty good start from you guys. Well done. Okay, let's move to our second stock. This is Bega, uh, of course, renowned for its cheese, but of course, it's much more than that. Uh, and it saw just recently, of course, it's seen a massive buy-up of its shares from Andrew Forrest from his investment company, Tattering Agri-Food Investments. Nathan, why is he making that play on bigger? Yeah, he's a play, making a play on a lot of food categories. Um, and um, and I think that makes sense. Um, if you look at uh, what the supply-demand dynamics and you look at the weather and, and uh, what the outlook for uh, food and so forth, it's pretty positive. So in that context, I think it makes sense. He's, he's making a play in a number of different categories, so he's diversifying it. And bigger is a very pretty good business. I mean, it's not a small business; it's a big business. And they've got they bought back a lot of brands um, because they learned the hard way. Um, the guy who makes the milk doesn't make the money. The guy like A2 Milk, who's a marketing business, makes all the money. So bigger has got a decent amount of mix of brands as well. So in that context, I think it's well positioned. Um, is it cheap? Uh, well, I wouldn't say it's cheap. Um, and the last update was actually a downgrade. So again, um, the market forgives them and has come back. Um, now, 
everyone's trying to pick the food thematics at the moment, trying to pick the run in the next food category. Um, you know, you can everything from almonds to salmon to, um, you know, you name it, uh, berries to uh, all of these categories are playing out because of the inflation cycle. Food prices are going up. And so that should flow through to everyone. Now, if when you're the guy who's making the uh, final product, it's your input cost goes up as well. So there's a bit of pressure on Vigo. So I'm not chasing Vigo here. I don't think Vigo is giving me the discount for a food business. So you got to remember, food businesses, um, agribusinesses, they're high risk. So you want to be early to the cycle when everyone hates it. And when everyone's looking at it, you don't want to be there because that's probably the peak cycle. So when Andrew Forrest is buying it, usually that's late in the cycle. When you see corporate transactions, that's late in the cycle. So at this point, I'm not jumping into Biga. I'm waiting for some of these things. Um, and when these things come off, we like the agri sector. So we played it through elders, nothing new fun. We'll talk about that later. And I interdict pivot, uh, the service providers, they tend to be doing quite well. Um, but the actual food guys do carry a fair amount of risk in their model. So they are quite cyclical. So you've got to get the discount, and I don't think you're getting the discount right now in Vega. So if you do own it, would you stick with it? Yeah, I think if you own it and you've had, you've got it at a discount, then I would hold it through because I think in the long run you'll do okay, uh, and I think they could do quite, you know, a lot better. But in the shorter term, I think it'll be quite choppy, uh, and I just don't see the risk return right now. So yeah, it'll be a hold if you held it at, a, you know, if you got in at a discount, but. Uh, if you were to buy right now, I wouldn't be buying it. Okay. All right. Andrew, is it on your plate? No, it's not. Nice, nice pun though. Um, uh, on on fire today. Um, look, it's it's just it's they're they're, they're morphing, um, as as Nathan rightly says. So it, back only five or so years ago, it's like you know eighty percent of their sales were through essentially commodity type products. They've very much made a deliberate move into brands. It accounts for about three quarters of their sales at this point in time. Brands is what allows you to have a, a better margin and allows you to differentiate yourself. But it's still a very, very, very tough business. And you can see that in the historical numbers here. The return on equity is typically less than 10%. So it's not a very profitable business. Earnings tends to move all over the place. It's actually been pretty flat. I mean, they're earning less now on a per share basis than what they earned in, in, in 2013. I know it's a different business now, but it just it just shows you that even, even if they do manage to sort of tr transition things across a little bit, it's just a very, very long road uh, to, to walk down and one that's full of uncertainty. Um, it's a very capital intensive business. Input costs are all over the place. In their recent presentation, they're talking about the difficulties of securing enough dairy supply and the rest of it. And I actually think too, when you look at the value uh, chain here, it's, it's you know, their, their customers are really the big supermarkets, you know, for a lot of these sort of branded items too. And they're the ones that really have most of the power uh, and really capture most of the value here. So. You're getting a business that, yeah, okay. Um, uh, consensus actually says that earnings here will grow reasonably well in the next couple of years, um, maybe at a sort of an up to the single digit kind of rate. That's okay. But, you know, for that, you're getting a 2% yield on something like that. Tough industry, capital intensive, commodity characteristics. It's just very difficult. So for me, I'd, I'd want a much more attractive price to sort of get into this kind of business, maybe below 430, something around that that kind of level. But even when this guy, when, when a business like this does well, it's never going to be a very strong business, a very high growth business. And that just means that you've just got to account for that in your valuation and the price that you pay. And at the moment, 
it's just not there. So not the most attractive business, certainly not a very attractive price, so it's a pass. Okay, a pass, but so you're not selling it, but if you do- No, I'd sell it. Yep. I'd sell it. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, should... the, what, what, what complicates Sounds that, Andrew, is, yeah, but what complicates it is tax. So in, in a world where tax isn't a consideration, I would say if you wouldn't buy it, you shouldn't hold it for the main. Um, and, and the other thing that I think investors, there's two words that you always have to keep in mind, and that is opportunity cost. So is bigger a bad business? Of course not. Um, as Nathan indicated before, is it a top 15 business and opportunity on the ASX at the moment? No way. So while you leave your money in this, it's not in something else that could be potentially a lot more attractive, even on a risk-adjusted uh, kind of basis. And I think that's the lens you need to look through. Now, that does become a bit more complicated if you're sitting on a massive capital gain and potentially you have to take a, you pay a chunk of cash. Given what the share price has done, that's probably not not the scenario. Mm. So I would argue quite stringently that if, if you wouldn't buy, you shouldn't hold. Okay, fair enough. I was pressing on it because, in fact, it is in the portfolio at the moment. But it remains there nonetheless. All right, let's uh, move on to our third stock. This is Resonance Health. Uh, in fact, uh, its share price having surged. Now, this was... Um, after uh, the US FDA gave some regulatory approval there to begin its commercialization for its LiverSmart um, product. That's a software medical device that provides assessment of a person's liver, iron and liver fat. Um, you, know, you can see obviously the potential there, particularly in the States. Um, Andrew, your thoughts? Yeah, so look, just early stage. I mean, these guys have sales. Um, they've got some products out there in the market, but the company is trading on 18 times those sales. So less than 4 million in sales most recently on a market cap of about $70 million. Now that's not necessarily um, uh, bad. There's a lot of stuff in the pipeline here. So this is really, whether or not this is a good investment is, is to what success they have with these new products, what traction they get and under what sort of time frame that tends to occur. Really cool things that they seem to be doing, just taking existing MRI images, using some AI to sort of determine the iron levels and fat concentrations and all of this kind of stuff, which is great. And they, they seem to be passing some important regulatory hurdles. But anyone who's watched this space for any length of time knows that this is a very, very long path, very, very difficult path as well. So even when you are successful, the road to commercialization is a long and, and, and difficult one. So you know, for me, I, I wish them well. I love these kinds of businesses that they're out there working, you know, on ways to, to improve the health of us and society. It's, it's fantastic. Board and management have very strong interests in this business, about 20% of the, of the holdings that are out there. But this is, this is, the market has looked at these, this pipeline of new products and said, basically, they think there's a really good chance that that's going to be successful. So again, I would argue to some extent that this is a good deal of this is is in the price and therefore you're lacking some of that asymmetry. Um, what viewers will notice too, just based on what's on screen, you can tell from that chart, which is a point I was going to make, is this is very illiquid too. So very, it can be difficult to, to build up any sizable position and can be even more difficult to get out if ever you needed to do that into, in a hurry. So that's, that's something that, that you need to consider. So for me, I would want to see I would want to see some uh, uh, some of these new products come to market and then see some really strong traction. Now, when that happens, you'll probably be buying at a higher price, but you'll probably be also um, have a much lower risk proposition. And again, the businesses uh, that in this space that do get traction, these markets are huge global markets. 
So even if you ended up buying this at, at double the price, but you're buying a business where the certainty is much higher and they've got a very, very long runway and very, very strong sales momentum, I think it's probably a safer, sounder bet. It's, at this stage, it's just a little too speculative for me. Okay, too specky. Nathan. Yeah, look, I mean, it's, it's health tech. What's not to love? Uh, you know, anything in health tech space, everyone's going to chase. Um, if you're in a healthcare sector uh, and you haven't done well, there's something wrong with you. Um, so in that context, the macro is really positive. Um, what they're doing, they've got numerous products, as Andrew said, in the pipeline. Uh, their approval process is obviously giving the boost in recent times, and that's pretty positive. The other thing to keep in mind is whether they get the tick to get the reimbursements. So, uh, you know, that really changes the dynamics of their cost base uh, for their clients. So that makes the, the selling point a lot better. So that'll, that'll probably be another uh, move on the stock if that comes through on the positive side. Now, history, uh, Andrew's right. I mean, it's one thing to have the product range. It's another thing to actually get the traction and get the sales. Um, and, you know, a classic example for me is what I remember what happened with Nanasonic. You know, it took a long time, but you know, when it when it when it rains, it pours. Uh, so when they do get the traction, everything happens very quickly and bang, bang, bang. And Nanasonic did nothing for a number of years, and then it went from 80 cents to like, I think it went three, four times in less than a year. So in that context, that's the beauty of when the traction happens, but that's the risk as well. You're going to take a bit of time for that to happen. So you have to understand it is a micro cap stock. You are taking a fair amount of risk. Um, and they get the regulatory approvals, de-risks the project slightly, but it's still, they have to execute. They have to go through the process, they have to sell, they have to get the revenue coming, and that, that's when the market will get really excited. Uh, in the last three, four years, you've had two or three times when this has happened and people got excited, and the question is, can they go through and execute to the next phase? Look, if you're into, uh, you know, healthcare tech stocks, uh, which I like, uh, it is a educated punt. I think this is a worthwhile risky play that you can take a punt on. Um, I wouldn't put all of it. I'll put some of it and see how what plays out. If the management can execute initial sales, then I'll follow through with it. Uh, but it, you know, as Andrew said, it's got big blue sky. The question is, can they execute? So mm. I think it's worth the risk, uh, but it's not, you know, your core 10, 15 stock portfolio. This is in the speculative uh, micro cap plays. If you're into that space, you're willing to take that risk return. I think it looks yep. good. Okay, a speculative buy then for Nathan. Yeah. Yep, good one. Okay, all right. The next one is a little different. Uh, this one coming to us from Joyce. Uh, it's the private equity fund three. Uh, it invests in US small cap uh, private equity and directing companies. Its dividend track record, uh, she said, is uneven, although uh, last year it paid uh, well, yield, came up with a yield of some 49%. Uh, she says that's unrealistic, obviously, going forward. She wants to know about the fund's managers, Walsh and Company, uh, some background there, and is it a good income stock in the current macroeconomic environment? Nathan, have you done your research on this one? Oh, it's a tricky one. Uh, yeah. I have to say, I, I'm not going to back myself on uh, making a call on management because uh, I don't know them that well and uh, I couldn't find too much on them. But the macro is important here. Uh, and the call on the dividends, that's exactly right. I mean, if you bought um, an ETF on US market or global markets in the last couple of years, um, the last year you would have got paid a, a massive dividend. Is it sustainable? No, it's not. 
Um, I mean, unless you think the Fed is going to, all the central banks are going to print again, like what they did in the last 12 months, it's unlikely, actually, they'll have to print even more. Um, so it, it's very unlikely. Um, so you've had a really big run. Now, the question is, is small caps, which is the most uh, you know, leverage for recovery cycle, and it carries the highest risk. So has it delivered well? Yes, it has. Uh, but if you looked at previous, uh, you know, if you look at the previous couple of years, hasn't done a lot. So in that context, you're playing that cycle uh, and you're buying something that's, you know, it, it does have the market risk attached to it. You're in the small cap space. It's, you know, you've got to think of it like you're buying a small cap ETF. My problem is with a small cap ETF, I know what the underlying uh, equities are doing, what the risk return is and so forth. In a private equity play, it's really hard for me to judge what the risk return of the portfolio is. And, you know, when it goes wrong, I just don't know. And when it, you know, you only know after it goes wrong. So I'm one of those people, I tend to prefer listed equities and listed exposure because I can judge what that asset class is doing, what that category is doing, uh, and then have an insight into uh, before things go wrong. Um, and in a private equity space, in a small cap in the US, which is being pumped up uh, at all time high, trading at historical high multiples, it's a high risk play. So for me, just on the macro, I'm not chasing there. One of my you know, PA holdings is actually a short on the US market. Uh, so um, I, I see substantial risk in the US market as the Fed tapers, and this is in the in a small cap space. So this carries even higher risk than the overall market. So um, I think now is probably not the time to jump into US small caps. Uh, I think in the risk return, most people will be going away from the US dollar and the US market in the short term till things uh, improve or clarify with what's happening with central banks. Yep. Andrew, do you agree? Uh, look, it's, to answer Joyce's question, it's most definitely not an income stock. So these guys buy early stage or reasonably early stage companies. And the way that they make um, money on this is through exiting it, i.e. by selling it or listing it uh, somewhere else. So that's why it's going to be super, super, super lumpy. And Joyce was right that this dividend is not sustainable because it's not something that's this even cash generation machine that just throws out all this free cash flow that management can distribute back to unit holders. It just doesn't work like that. So they'll have many years where they don't pay a cent. Maybe they'll get a few successful exits and then they'll make a bit of money there and they'll, they'll send that back to, to shareholders if they can or if they don't have enough reinvestment opportunities. And as Nathan said, it's just very opaque. You And Joyce asked the right question here. I mean, what, what what's the management team like? Because that's the bet that you're making here, that these, these are competent investment managers in this particular space. And uh, yeah, I tried to dig around, but it's really, really, really hard to find. Just, just you know, with half an hour of Googling, you're not really going to get... Uh, too much insight that is there. Going to their website, um, since inception, this has underperformed the market. You would have done better with a simple S&P 500 ETF. It's been about 8.5% per annum since 2017. The NTA has done uh, better than that. There's the actual net tangible asset backing is about 14.5%, although that's hard to value uh, uh, too. So very illiquid business. One that's very hard to get a grasp on in terms of what the underlying securities are doing, a big back on the competency of management. I don't want to cast any dispersions there whatsoever because I just don't know enough about it. But uh, I do think I do think that often you'll hear, I know Joyce isn't saying this, but people will sort of say, oh, you should have a bit of exposure to private equity. You should have a bit of exposure to that. I, I think that's largely rubbish. There's plenty of the great investors have had done wonderfully very, over very long periods of time without ever having any exposure to plenty of sectors. So if you're, if you're buying this, Joyce, because you want 
specifically exposure to private equity, I'd ask, well, why? And, and you might have a good reason, but don't do it just for the sake of it. And in evaluating this business, I just, I think as an investor, one of the real core strengths you need to have is, is a um, self-honesty to know what you don't know and to put things in the too hard basket. And lots of things go in the too hard basket for me. And this one's in the too hard basket, so it's a pass. Okay, all right. That's uh, the private equity fund three. 2L, let's round out uh, the top five with Vulcan Energy Resources. In fact, uh, yesterday uh, it was um, uh, announced five new exploration licenses for its geothermal and lithium in the Upper Rhine Valley in Germany. Um, Andrew, we know where a lot of these stocks, particularly lithium, have been going. We only have to see their performance over the past 12 months. They have been on fire. Is that going to continue? I don't know. This, this is this is one of these areas where I think the big the big idea here is 100% correct. Is the world going to need more lithium? Yes, 100%. I would bet my left arm on it. Um, what's the profitability of these? What's the what's the cash flow profile of, of a lot of the businesses in this space going to look like? Well, that's a very different question, but it's the more accurate question here. The Vulcan Energy has got some really cool stuff that they're doing here. Zero carbon lithium production because they. They're linking it up with geothermal energy production, using that to extract the lithium. Um, they've got some really good uh, sites there uh, over in Germany. And interestingly, they've got um, offtake agreements signed with some really big players, Volkswagen, Renault, a bunch of others as well. So the next five years worth of production is pretty much already sold, um, which is really great news. But then here's the difficult part here. So production is, uh, I just, I'm only... It's generally not an area I play in, so I've only just done a bit of reading this morning. But as I understand it, looking at some of their presentations, production's not meant to start until around 2024. Uh, and at that point in time, this well, by 2025, they're expecting to produce about 25 kilotons a year of this kind of stuff. So look, at current prices of lithium, that's $800 million a year in revenue, excluding any revenue that they might get from the energy side of the business as well. It's, it's a lot of money. Um, its Shares are on about one point eight times that so let's call it two times that um here's the thing though so will they deliver on those production targets i mean almost every company in this space fails to meet them and again there's no nefarious conspiracy here it's just really tough just how it's like anyone who's built a you know done a renovation on their house knows this story right um it's just they, there's always tend to be cost overruns and difficulties that are unforeseen etc so will they deliver on on time on budget Will they deliver the kind of production that they expect? And importantly, what's the price of lithium going to be at that at that point in time? That's really difficult. So the, the back of the napkin calculation that I've done is based on the current price. Recently, it's done really, really, really well. But you know, anyone who's looked at a periodic table recently would know that lithium is actually very, very abundant in the universe. And uh, it's quite abundant in the Earth's crust as well. So there'll be a huge demand for this kind of stuff. And that demand will spare a lot of supply. As more and more supply comes online, commodities are going to do what commodities do, which is generally trend around a bit of a you know, margin on top of the cost of production. And again, I, I come back to my earlier point. This is really, really, really hard stuff for me to forecast all of those things multiple years out into the future. Now, the market's been right to revalue this thing upright because it has come a long way. And it's far less speculative today than it, than it was previously. Mm. But, but, but now you don't have that asymmetry. Now you've got a lot of success kind of factored into the price. 
So it's sort of like if everything sort of goes their way, you'll probably get a pretty decent return. But if there's any stumbles along the way, there's some big downside risk there. And so for me, it's just too uncertain and I'm, I'm going to pass again, sorry. Okay, all right, Nathan. Yeah, it's the hottest of hot stocks. Uh, it's in the hot sector, lithium. Uh, if you bought anything in that sector, you've done really well. Uh, and, uh, we, you know, as Andrew said, you don't actually have to produce my, any product. Uh, you've already gone done really well. Um, and then you've got the concept that this is, I think originally was Gina Reinhardt put money into it, and uh, um, everyone chased the whole speculative play before it even became hot, and then the sector became hot. So it's had a huge run. Uh, it's done really well. Um, now the question is, everyone in that sector is assumed to be winners, um, and it's assumed that this is the only solution. Um, so these are the macro problems for me. Um, eventually, oh, look, battery technology is the future. Now, what that plays out to be, I don't know. There will be a basket of solutions, and lithium will be one of the big ones. Um, and if, as Andrew said, there's plenty of lithium around. There's a lot of people finding it everywhere. Um, so there will be a, a, a supply-side, uh, I suppose, response to a higher price, and that will play out. And most of these guys are not going to produce for years. So it's tough. Um, if you're playing this exploratory game, you're going to be playing it early and you're going to take a fair amount of risk on a basket of stocks. And if you were in one of them and you've done well in Vulcan, then great, uh, you know, hold on. And, and I think they'll continue to do okay. Uh, they're probably not going to deliver what they did last year, but they'll do okay. Now, if you're fresh money looking at Vulcan and the battery tech uh, sector, for me at the moment, uh, you know, it's very rare that the hottest of hot sectors does two good years uh, when everyone knows, everyone in any part of the world knows that lithium is a hot sector. So I think that a lot of that hot money is already there. Yep. So I'm not jumping into lithium right now. It, there's a, as Andrew said, there's a lot of uncertainty to play it out. If you're there, you've done well, you've got the buffer, so sit and see how it goes. And if it rolls over, you get out. But if you've got fresh money, I think there's different places to make money in the next year. All right, well, we've got, well, we've got two more stocks to go just in, in that sector too. So uh, hold, your, hold your power for a bit more uh, just on that front. All right, let's uh, sum up our first five stocks plus stock of the day. The stock of the day was corporate travel. Uh, and uh, it's a, a hold from Nathan, a pass from Andrew. It is a difficult business, obviously, at the moment, given what's going on with the pandemic and what we know what's happening with travel. Our first suggested stock was XRF Scientific. Uh, Reasonable Value says uh, uh, Andrew um, and Nathan agreeing there, enough to the point where both are adding it. Andrew already holds it. It's into the portfolio. Uh, Bega, um, just off the back of uh, Andrew Forrest's uh, investment company, he's bought into it, although Nathan pointing out it's not cheap, uh, did have a recent downgrade. It's a hold, also a hold from Andrew. And Resonance Health, um, it's a recent approval for uh, FDA approval in the States uh, for one of its uh, products, uh, although Andrew noting it's a difficult path, it is very illiquid, too speculative from him. Uh, from Nathan, though, it's a speculative buy. And private equity fund three, uh, an impressive uh, dividend, although it's not sustainable, agreed by both. Uh, high risk, saying Nathan, and too opaque, says Andrew. And Vulcan Energy Resources. Lots of offtake agreements with some big car companies there, um, Andrew notes, but it isn't a void, it's a hold from Nathan. That's our first five stocks. All right, let's continue then. Our next one being New Farm. Scott uh, 
has uh, brought this to our attention. It is an ag chemicals company uh, developing, manufacturing, selling crop protection solutions, seed technologies and the like pretty much globally at this point. Nathan, your thoughts? Yeah, yeah look, I'm a fan. Uh, we've been uh, in the stock. I've been recommending the stock for our clients for a while. Um, as I said before, in the agri-food uh, thematic, we like elders, Instec Pivot, and New Farm. And uh, because we see the, the macro for that sector being very positive, and the supply demand and the weather issues adds to that thematic, food prices are rising, and uh, we suspect that that's going to continue well into next year or this year, um, and we're in the new year. Um, so in that context, I think New Farm will continue to do well. The interesting part about uh, um, all these three stocks is they a fair amount of brokers always tell you that this is the peak cycle. They said that 12 months ago, and they're saying it again. Um, and the peak cycle seems to continue. Um, and I think the businesses are a lot better than what they were. I mean, a classic example is the elders. I think about four or five years ago, elders was a complete mess. Uh, and it's such a uh, such improved business now. And New Farm's gone through a lot of changes as well. And I think New Farm will continue to do that and do well. Instec Pivot's having a really good run because of what's happening with fertilizer prices. So I think the overall the farming sector, agriculture sector is doing really well. Um, the farmers are doing well on the actual property prices as well as the price inflation in uh, food uh, commodities. So in that context, I think that still plays well. For New Farm, for me, it's the exposure around the world. You're not restricted by any specific you know, region. Uh, they've got out of some of the bad areas. They've expanded into Europe, so that's all positive. Uh, now, if you look at what's happening in the overall food thematic, you know, you see the food prices, farmers are trying to get more from less, um, especially with weather damage. Um, so in that, all those kind of thematics will play really well for New Farm. And the other thing that you have to remember about uh, New Farm is basically it's a pseudo chemical play. So in that chemical sector globally, um, over the last decade, there's continuously consolidation being played out because the bigger players are trying to find growth engines and trying to find new areas of business to grow into and new areas or regions to move into as well. So they're always trying to look at other players to buy and plug into their model. So New Farm is one of those ones where I think potentially, uh, you know, the same with Instec Pivot, I think both of them are potential mm. takeover targets for global players. So in that context, that's your free kick. But the underlying model is, you know, doing quite well. Um, the negative is that everyone thinks that this is, you know, we've had a peak cycle. But, you know, that was the case 12 months ago. That was the case last year. And I suspect that's going to be the case again at the end of this year. So, uh, we're in peak cycle, but it's yep. a prolonged peak cycle. Are you buying? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Andrew? Uh, it's not for me. Um, only because I guess so Nathan is, is right in everything he says. But you, you, do have to, you do have to have a very good handle on where we are in the cycle and, and how that cycle is going to play out. And I'm, personally, I'm just not good enough at that kind of stuff. So I, I try, and, try and look through the cycle. Um, looking back at this company historically, it's been very underwhelming in terms of what the business has done. Nathan, who knows it much better than me, is, is probably right in, in the sense that they've, they've righted the ship to, to some extent. But uh, I, I just, I feel it's, it's one of those things that you want a business, I want a business, where management have a, 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 a lot of control over where it's going to go. And you don't have too many externalities that can really shift you in one direction or the other. So you can have the best management team in the world, but if things just sort of move in the wrong direction for them, there's not much that they can do. So that's why the macro view is so 100% right. And Nathan's absolutely correct to point that out. 
But if you're like me and you can't pick that stuff and notoriously, it is notoriously difficult to pick, you've got uh, a business that's ex very susceptible to changing um, farming conditions, weather conditions, very competitive global market. The reason that players are all consolidating is because the one real advantage you have in this space is one of scale. And, uh, you know, as, as that sort of plays out, you've got to say who's got the best scale, the best sort of unit economics and stuff that they can play through. It's just, again, this is, this is not a terrible business by any stretch of the imagination. But I come back to is, is, it, is it the best business for my money? And the answer is no. Okay. All right. That is a no. All right. Uh, we better get moving. Our uh, next one, we're back in lithium again. I was warning you. Novanix, <laughs> uh, the battery technology company, stunning gain in its shares. In fact, yesterday when we saw the market do so well, it was top of the pops there. Uh, just reflecting what's going on uh, with that enthusiasm in that space. Andrew? Yeah, okay, I'll be quick. And I want to give a real uh, sh shout out here to one of our Strawman Premium members, uh, Canadian Aussie. Uh, Trevor is his first name. Um, he's actually been on Ausbiz before when we ran a competition with you guys last year. Anyway, he picked this at 27 cents a share and uh, introduced it to our community back then. It actually uh, got accepted by a number of our members, got added to our index in uh, August of last year at around $3.68. So it's actually ranked ranks pretty highly for us. We've done exceptionally well out of it. I, I haven't because I wasn't smart enough to follow Trevor's very excellent uh, investment thesis. Uh, but those who have, have uh, done very well. Here's the thing though, he himself has been selling down. We've seen a few members selling down. No one's got any problem with this business per se, but there is a lot in this price. So the price to sell, here's a business that's currently earning about $5 million and they've gone from zero to 5 million in, in five years time. So big congratulations there. But the business is now valued at $5 billion. So you do a bit of maths there, that's a nice easy price to sales of 1,000. So they've got a big plant coming on, they're gonna ramp up production, very strong macro uh, tailwinds. So much to like about this business, except for the price. So this, this is really in there for me. And again, I wasn't smart enough to follow Trevor before, but the fact that he's been lightening his position and selling down is, mm. is probably a lead that I'm gonna follow there. So for me, it's, it's one to watch. And it'll be volatile, so keep it on a watch list. It could drop back to five dollars in six months. Who knows? And if you're not if you're not holding, hopefully that will be the case. But at this point, too expensive. Okay, so it's a lighten. I'll take that. Yes. Uh, yep. Okay, Nathan. Yeah, uh, when you're saying uh, you know hold on to your horses, yeah, graphite stocks. Um, if you thought lithium was on a tear, graphite stocks has ripped it even faster, um, and it's done really well now. It. You don't actually have to produce anything. <laughs> if you would, you know, like we've had a few cycles like this where all you have to do is Google the word graphite. Every stock that had graphite on it had that cycle. So um, it's done really well. Um, and interestingly enough, um, you know, it's done as well as all the EV techs. Everything's had a massive run. Now the question would be, is, as I said before, you you will get a basket of solutions, and number of these commodities will play a part in the battery solution in the future EV world. Now, um, is, there, is there a supply side um, reduction in this? No, everyone's, there's plenty of graphite, there's plenty of lithium. So it's not gonna be an issue there. Now the question is, of course, when it all settles down, how much, where's the margins, how much does it cost, and all of that will play out. So, you know, you make money in the speculative time when people are getting excited about a commodity, and then you have to execute. You actually have to build a mine and do things. As Andrew said before, that's where things go wrong. They always go wrong. Statistically, they always go wrong. There you can put about 50 to 100% cross blowout. 
So, and then it's like infrastructure. And then you get to the production side. So what you generally make your money is, you get in for the speculative run, and once they start, speculation is finished and you're going into that building phase, you get out because you're, t you're taking on too much risk. Mm. And then when they get close to production, you get back in. Uh, so assuming the prices are right, that's the cycle. So they're going into that cycle where a lot of the graphite lithium players will have to actually build their mine and the management will have to go through that uh, growth pains. And that's not when you want to be there. So uh, I think Andrew's right. I think yep. this is the time you sell out and come back later. Okay. All right, that is Novanix. Uh, we better make the next one quick. It is Envirus. Sweet Kira suggesting this one. It is the environmental solutions company providing everything for everyone, really, in terms of uh, how to manage uh, environmental issues. Nathan? Yeah, look, I've followed this for a while. There's a lot of people who, you know, it's, it's a bit like you either love it or you don't. And, and people who love it, uh, the concept is great. Uh, and, you know, you look at what's going to happen in the future, air pollution, water pollution is going to be a massive problem. Solutions are hard to find. Uh, it just hasn't had the traction. It hasn't followed through. Uh, people get excited about this stock every so often. It has a run and then it peters off. Uh, unfortunately, it's back where it is, where I think it starts to peter off. So I'm not jumping in. Uh, I'm Look, I'm hopeful that these guys could execute because I think the world needs these kind of solutions. Uh, but historically, this hasn't worked out when you buy it around these levels because people get excited and it doesn't actually deliver. Um, so if you're there and you've had the run up, take some money off the table and hope they can execute. But it's just, you know, it just hasn't played out so far and yep. I, I'm not jumping in. All right, that's a light. And Andrew, do you agree? Uh, I don't actually. So I've got a, this is another major holding for me. Um, I've been involved in this company since 2017, around six cents a share or so. It's been a 130% compound average annual return over that period, despite that share price. I mean, this is this is the this is the value of having a, a very clear understanding of a business and a clear understanding of value. Was it right to get to 25 cents a couple of years ago? No, it wasn't. I took the chance to lighten then. Um, and, and then we got the chance to buy back in at under 10 cents not that long ago. So this is a business that has had, we don't have time to go into all the, into all the gory detail of it, but I think underneath it all, they're executing well. The new water side of the business is very attractive. This is a business whose sales, the top line is very likely to double over the next two to three years. I think that the price is, is much less attractive, obviously, than, than what it was, but I think it's probably close to fair value. It's number one on straw man. Big holding for me, so I say a buy. A buy? All right, okay. Conflicting views on Envirus Suite. Okay, let's uh, move on to Dusk. Uh, this one coming to us from Ron. It is in the business of uh, selling things such as candles, oils, fragrances, and the like. Also had recent acquisition of Aroma uh, to boost its online business. Andrew? Yeah, it's easy to kind of laugh at this. You know, scented candles, are you serious? Is that is that what we're talking about? Um, but of course, you know, you've got to, you've got to go beyond that. They're a very successful retailer to date. Uh, their sales have been growing really well. Like for like sales have been going really well. The store rollout seems to be doing well. The online channel seems to be doing really well. Got a real knock from COVID in the first part of this year with, with, with lockdowns, which is, which is why they're trading on a P of seven or something, because on a trailing basis, it looks really cheap, but they're probably going to take a bit of a knock this year. But look, the net margin for a retailer that sells candles and whatever um, is 18%. You know, 
they're doing something right here. I generally don't like retail as a category, but when you have very, very capable uh, uh, management who are executing very well, that have still got a long way for their model to, to roll out, I wouldn't bet against them. It's it's not my style of investing, and I don't know it well. I tend to do a lot of due diligence before I buy any investment, and I haven't done that here, so in good conscience, I can't say buy. Um, but I think it's definitely one for the watch, watch list if you, if you like retail. But for me, it's 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 not. If if you hold if you own it, keep holding it. Um, uh, but for me, no. Okay, I should mention it is in our portfolio, so it's staying there. Unless, of course, Nathan has a different point of view. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I've got to be honest with myself. Yeah, look, uh, dust deal dawn. Um, The beauty of this product is, uh, yeah, it's you've got to always worry about a retail stock that floats just in the the biggest stimulus pump of all time. Uh, You know, it's like Booktopia listing uh, straight after Christmas. You know they've got great numbers in the the recent past. It's going to look amazing. And they you know, went through the cycle. I think Dusk is an interesting model. Um, you know, retail space, I'm always skeptical, and Andrew's right, you've got to be skeptical, um, because there's a lot of macro that plays into it. Their cycles can be, you know, inflated by everything from JobKeeper to, you know, uh, rat sales. So you just got to be careful how it all plays out. Uh, but in Dusk's case, I think they've listed at a time when they've had great outlook and it's played out well. All retailers had a great run. Are the retailers going to do as well as they did last year? No. Mm. Uh, but you can see out of the retail sector, there's about you know 30 to 40 percent of them have learned through the pandemic, and the models are actually better than what they were uh, before the pandemic. And I'm looking at those stocks. Dusk for me, I'm not con- completely certain that the model is better now than what it was before. Uh, you know, you look at someone like another, you know, some boring stock like Shabershaw. Their model has dramatically proven to me how good they are through the cycle and they evolved. And so you've got to look at stocks that can evolve with that and have play that. Everyone loves City Chic. Everyone loves the Visa for the same thematics Andrew said about uh, um, uh, about um, Dusk. They have a much bigger track record and they've you know gone through the cycle. And I think that's why everyone loves them. And Dusk potentially could be that. I'm not sold on it yet. It's a hold for me. Uh, I'm waiting to see how they play out. I'm yep. always skeptical about stocks that have floated in the last couple of years. Okay, that's two holds, so it does stay in the portfolio. All right, let's uh, finish up then with uh, IGO. I told you we're coming back to battery materials. Uh, now, of course, it's a long um, process here. Of, it's got to play for the nickel producer Western areas, uh, which is still to play out. Nathan? Yeah, this has been one of our picks in mid um, 2020 uh, and had a huge run through 20. So it was uh, on Ausbiz uh, for 2021. It was my stock pick, it was IGO. And at the time we got in, it was like sub four, sub $5. Um, now it's what, $12? Um, so in that context, uh, you know, they've we were on it on the nickel play, on the whole nickel dynamics. It's probably the most hated commodity in, in the market. Um, and they're great management, great assets. They manage it well. They were the only nickel player that didn't have problems. Uh, and so that's why we backed it. And then they turned around and became a lithium stock and they're now bidding on Western areas. All of those things, I think they'll execute and they'll execute better than most others. So look, it's one run a lot harder than I thought. Uh, but you know, if you've been there, look, if you're fresh money, I just, it's, I struggle to buy it. But 
if I had to buy a lithium player, if I had to buy someone, I'm looking for a consult, like a diversified player. So you've got your BHP Rios, and then you mm. go to South 32. After that, for me, the next biggest diversified player now is probably Minres and IGO. So yeah. if you had to buy miners, it's in the top five diversified players. So I think it's a great stock, great management, good assets, all of those things. Um, you know, I just struggle for fresh money to buy something that's you know, double, tripled in the last couple of years. So that's my psychological problem, but I think it's a great stock. Okay, really of course it. you don't have to buy it, but you perhaps yeah. hold it anyway. Yes, yeah. I'll okay. be holding it. <laughs> All right, Andrew. Look, I don't know it nearly as well as Nathan. It's an area I, I, I do, generally don't fish in for various reasons. Um, having a look at the business though, yeah, it's producing. I can see why Nathan's been attracted to it. 200% ramp up in profits last year caught my eye. Of course, there was a, there's a divestment, I think, there of an asset so that, that's probably skewed the figures there. But good theme, tight at the moment, yeah. Um, but again, the market sort of tends to sort of factor this in already. So it's it's not it's not something I'll ever be buying. Okay, so you're just avoiding it at this point. Fair enough. I look, okay. just this commodity. Look, I just anyone who's seen me talk and blather on before just knows I just I just don't go into the commodity space. It's just you got you got to stay within your circle of competence. That is not my circle of competence. All right, not so in your wheelhouse. Taken. All no. right, thanks, Andrew. All right, that rounds up our last five. We began with New Farm there. Nathan uh, pointing out macro. It's a very positive position, of course, where food prices are going. It is a buy for him. But uh, Andrew is not interested. Uh, Novanix, uh, Andrew's saying too expensive. Uh, in fact, he's uh, selling down Lightning. It is a sell also from Mathan. And EnviroSuite, uh, a Lighten also from, uh, from Mathan. And it is a buy. Uh, in fact, Andrew's already got it as a major holding in his portfolio. That's EnviroSuite. And uh, Dusk, we were talking about there uh, with its... Um, Fragrances and oils uh, looking cheap, says Andrew. Our net margins of 18%. It's a hold, also a hold from Mathan, so it stays in the portfolio. And IGO there, finally there, a hold from uh, Mathan. Uh, he did pick it last year. He's liked it from that point, although he says has run very hard. But as we just heard there from Andrew, he's not really into that space anyway, so he is avoiding it. So that is our 10 stocks for the day. All right, uh, so that uh, brings us to our thanking our guests now, Andrew from Strawman, Nathan from Deep Data Analytics. So terrific to, uh, to get through those stocks, guys. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, happy new year. You too, all right. And uh, if there are any stocks you'd like us to cover, you can flick us an email, thecall at ausbiz.com.au or tweet us at Ausbiz TV. A reminder where to find all those stocks we have in the course portfolio, you can head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.